It's a new day. Yes, it is. Wakey, wakey. Time to get up. Good morning, citizens. Open at them. Rise and shine. This is your wake-up call, people. Come on, the coffee's on. We're going to get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my nerds? Nerds! I work with a bunch of nerds. I'm a nerd, and uh, I'm pretty proud of it. Rise and shine, nerds. Welcome to the Macro Morning Show, a part of the Love Thy Nerd podcast network and the official exclusive morning show for LTN Radio. I'm Radio Matt, the station manager and chief radio nerd. I'm a husband, a father of two, with a third coming any day now, a Green Lantern fan and a Funko Pop collector. And I'm Mo, shorter, louder, smarter, and all around better than absolutely no one. I'm a wife, mom, elementary librarian, and seeker of truth, except when it comes to reality TV. And you're listening to the Back Row Rollback, a collection of this past week's main topic in one podcast. Perfect for those of you who just want the meat segments. Of course, our full shows are also available, which include much more fun stuff like junk food, weird news, games and challenges, internet arguments, and much more. This week's discussions focus around the new Disney Pixar movie, Luca, the best Disney duos, and how Disney might be setting our relationships up for failure. So have you guys seen Pixar's latest offering, Luca? I'm going to admit, I saw the preview and I thought this was going to be on par with The Good Dinosaur. As in Pixar's movies, I couldn't care less about. <laughs> but, but my wife happened to watch it and liked it. And then Mo watched it and wanted to talk about it. Then both Christians and the LGBT community were unhappy with it. And so I realized that I had to see this movie before we get into the controversy, though. Uh, we're going to give our like overall reviews. Uh, but before that, here is your spoiler warning. <laughs> we are about to discuss Luca without any regard for it. We're going to spoil the movie for you. So if you don't want to hear it yet, come back to the podcast for this episode Later. So you saw it before me, Mo. Uh huh. What were your thoughts on the movie? Uh, I loved the movie. Loved the movie for several reasons. Probably the biggest being, where does it take place? Oh, I didn't even think about that connection. Yeah. 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 Uh, it takes place in Italy. So for me, it, I felt kind of homesick <laughs> over it, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I enjoyed it in in that aspect. I honestly can't think of my about well, I guess like Frozen is Norway, right? I think so. I can't think of another Disney movie that was in like a big European Ratatouille. Where was Ratatouille in? I think France. Oh. Pretty sure it's France. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. Wait, what? Beauty and the Beast. Oh, right. <laughs> See, I just I just needed time to think on what I was saying before I now said it. <laughs> but I didn't think about anything before I said it, so yeah. And that's what a talk show is. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. So, yeah, I loved it for that aspect, first and foremost. <clears throat> 
anything more like specific? Like we're, we we did the spoiler warning. You can talk about specific things about the movie you liked. Um. Okay. So I really loved the. Um. I love the relationship between the parents, Luca's parents, and Luca, and that. I'm gonna need to pull up the names of all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> Alberto was Alberto the other boy. Alberto was the boy. Luca, and then. What was the girl's Juliana, name? Juliana. Julia. 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 Um, I because they are your protective parents who want what's best for their boys or their boy, their son. Um, but at the same time, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain it. Um, Anyway, but then you add the grandmother in as a another aspect to the whole storyline. And to me, that's just it. It lends to the generational, um, I guess, misunderstandings, if you will, mm. in a family dynamic, because the grandmother, the whole premise is that you're not they are. Mermaids, I guess. Mermen. That's what they are, right? Like Sea monsters. Sea monsters. Not mermaids. Not mermaids. Sorry, I was mermaids wrong. Mermaids are half human, half fish. You're right. You're right. My bad. They were sea monsters. I'll leave you up to figure out how that comes to be. Really? <laughs> they are sea monsters, but when they leave the ocean, when they leave the sea, they become human. And Luca is told his entire life not to surface. Not right. to go above the water um, and that it's evil and, you know, your normal, typical Disney don't do this because evil is on the other side. Right. Right. Uh-huh. right. Um, all the while, the grandmother apparently had been surfacing her entire life, mm-hmm. going, going up to land um, to enjoy what humans enjoy. Food, card games, all uh-huh. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, so Luca gets drawn out from something shiny. This actually reminded me a lot of The Little Mermaid and the fact that it was like, um, you know, shiny objects that had right. gone. Like human stuff that yeah. fell into the ocean. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where did this come from? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> a dingle hopper for <laughs> her, her hair. That's what she calls it. I know. <laughs> My good grief. Um, anyway. That's a good insult for someone. You dingle hopper. <laughs> uh, I guess so. <laughs> I'm going to um, start saying that. Is it a dingle hopper now? I'm questioning whether or not that's what it's called. I'll Google it. You keep talking. Okay. Um, so eventually, yeah. okay. Eventually, Luca surfaces and ends up. Finding a friend who is just like him. Um, Alberto. Or Alberto actually kind of draws him out of the sea to surface. Yeah, because Alberto's been like harassing boats, knocking stuff off their boat. Uh-huh. And then it sinks into the ocean and he takes it up uh-huh. and adds it to his little fort. Right. That he has on a little island just off the coast of the city in Italy. Mm-hmm. That's there. Yeah. Which I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't ever say like specifically where they are, but I am guessing. It seems Italian. 
Well, yeah, I know the that Vespas. it's yeah, I know that it's Italian. The characters, the character names, the things that they eat. I was talking about specifically where in Italy. Oh, I um, gotcha. But I'm pretty certain, almost 100% sure, that it is Cinque Terre, which is the five cities along the Amalfi Coast. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. go Google it sometime, and there's specific scenes that look exactly like Cinque Terre, which anyway, um, that is neither here nor there about the movie. But <laughs> all the while... The sea monsters are being told never to surface, that there's evil beyond. Also, humans have had this longstanding uh, legend of sea monsters mm-hmm. and trying to capture the sea monsters. They're like statues, fountains, artwork, all depicting trying to kill sea monsters. Right, right. So now that these boys have surfaced and they're running through this town, they're trying to have to uh, fit in as much as possible and um, not get wet. yes not get wet because <laughs> the second that they get wet they begin to turn back mm-hmm. um, so I think one of the scenes where we first realized that any water at all or no I guess it was when he got splashed with the water yeah. at the dinner table Alberto gets splashed and then they realize oh my gosh any water but then they wake up in the morning they had slept outside they wake up in the morning and the dew had set, and so they look at each other and they're like, "We're sea monsters. We gotta hide." You know. Yeah. Um, anyway, but this entire movie just goes around two very different um, legends from two perspectives, um, and then of course, because it's Disney Pixar, ties it all together at the end with a pretty little bow of how we can coexist. Yeah. So, it's not my favorite Pixar movie by far, but it's not down there with The Good Dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Um, It's weird comparing it to other Disney movies or kids' movies. We have a villain, Ercole Visconti. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. A villain, a bully. Yeah. With no backstory on why he's a bully. You're right, yeah. He's mm-hmm. just the bad guy. And there's no redemption for him in the movie whatsoever. Nope. And that's a rare, rare thing. I'm not sure if I like it, but it's just rare. It's different. We also have Massimo, which is uh, Juliana's dad and the, the, the owner of the place that the boys stay or eat at, at least. Uh and Massimo has a disability. Hmm. He has no arm. Yeah. It did not come about through some tragic circumstance. It was not eaten by a sea monster. It was not taken in a storm. He was born without the arm, and they just kind of address it and then walk uh-huh. on. Yep, which That's I That's also weird. No, I loved no, that. No, no, yeah. I, I liked it, but it's weird. That's not common. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it didn't tie into the story of, you know, the overall story at all, and you would expect it to. Kind of, because that's typically how this goes. It's usually like this person, you know, his arm got eaten by a sea monster or whatever in the past, and now he's got his hard heart against sea monsters, and then at the end he sees that the two boys that he's loved were sea monsters all along, and he has a change of heart. You expect, like, that kind of thing, and that didn't happen. Right. Which is weird. Mm-hmm. Also, there is a love triangle that has nothing to do with romance. Mm-hmm. It's all about friendship. 
and even jealousy within yep. friendship mm-hmm. <laughs> between Alberto, Luca, and Juliana. Or Julia. Why do I keep saying Juliana? Julia. Uh, also kind of a rare thing to see in these movies. Mm-hmm. Or in movies in general. Having There was, there was n- no romantic plot in the movie at all. The only, like, couple we see are the parents mm-hmm. of uh, Luca. And even then, it's not like a, they're not, they don't, they're not overly romantic or anything about it. It's very much focused on friendship and friendship alone. And so overall, this was a cute movie with two buddies who are seeking adventure, but also living in fear of being discovered for what they really are. Afraid they won't be accepted, or even worse, they'll be killed. Uh, so... Mo brought this up as a as a topic because we'd been hearing some like controversy around Christian circles mm-hmm. about this movie. Yeah. So what were what were these controversies? Well, just as you said and pointed out, there's a love triangle, um, and also just like you said and pointed out, it's not romantic. Right. By any means, it's three children for Pete's sake, but because it's involving two boys, um, there is a lot of accusation that this is um, heavy on gay relationship, right. um, that it's pointing children in the direction of, you know, boys dating boys. And so I think that is the main point that has a lot of, um, I don't want to say uneducated, but a lot of <laughs> Christians in a tizzy. Yeah. <clears throat> now, there, I did mention, like, there's jealousy in this, and that is uh, Alberto. Alberto gets jealous of Luca and Juliana getting along and having, like, the same interests and things. Mm-hmm. But that is clearly, uh, ev- you know, eventually at least, clearly shown to be because Alberto has been alone for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his father uh, left and never came back, and he stayed in that place where they had lived and waited and counted the days so long to the point where he just stopped counting. And he had finally found somebody to live his life with, to go on adventures with. He got off the island for the first time into the city with uh, Luca, and he was afraid of losing that friendship. And that's, I mean, that's it. No love story, no anything like that. So... On the other side of the coin, I have read some articles complaining from the LGBTQ side of things, saying, why wasn't this a love story? (laughs) And even some articles trying to make it sound like, no, it really is kind of a love story. And they go on to list these reasons, but the reasons they give are either incorrect or really reaching. One of the things they say is that there's even a scene where they both stare off into the sunset with their arms around each other's waists. I'm like, I just watched the movie. Their arms are not around each other's waists. They're over their shoulders. They're around their shoulders, which is how dudes (laughs) do this. But they started pointing out all these things like... Uh, well, like they're riding the, the, the bikes together and Luca's holding on tight around uh, 
Alberto's waist and, you know, because he feels protected by him because they're, you know, romantically involved. You know, they clearly love each other. They clearly have feelings for each other. So this all means that they must be gay. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I spent my entire childhood being told by society that just because you show affection for other guys, just because you admit that you love other guys does not mean that you're gay. Like that was drilled into us that it's okay to show emotion. It's okay to be close with other guys and it not be anything to be embarrassed about because it has nothing to do with your sexuality. And now we're using those exact same things that, you know, we had to fight against being teased for back then. The camaraderie between two close friends and saying, no, that all means definitely that they're gay. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the complete opposite argument. Um, according to the director, Enrico Casarosa, Luca, Luca isn't a love story at all. It's not a straight one. It's not a gay one. It's not one with uh, love triangles or schoolyard crushes. Carosa specifically wanted to focus on the intimate bonds of childhood friendship. There's even a female character, but there's no love story even hinted at, just friendships being tested. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that we wouldn't want this movie to be a... Uh, Allegory for for you know gay people coming out or for racism or anything else that's super controversial because its ending would not be realistic at all and I also kind of find that just the ending as it is is a little unrealistic as well so in the movie there's this race and that's like the key the key driving force that's the MacGuffin of the movie that they're building up to this race where you swim. Bike, eat, eat pasta, mm -hmm. and then ride a bike. Yep, like this big, it's like a triathlon. Big triathlon where one of the things is eat a big bowl of pasta. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it starts to rain while Luca is on the bike, mm -hmm. and so he he gets uh, he gets under like this little roof thing, and he just stops pedaling, and he's hoping the rain's going to let up. Alberto having already like left him behind and not wanted to be a part of a friend anymore was you know upset at mm -hmm. the friendship with uh, Julia falling out yeah. falling out mm -hmm. comes back and he's running with an umbrella and he's trying to you know get him to have the umbrella or whatever he loses the umbrella right like it slips out of his hand or gets knocked out or yeah. something something happens to where the rain starts hitting Alberto and he gets found out for who he is eventually Luca's like, oh no, and he runs down, he grabs him, whatever, they roll to the end of the race. They're getting chased now by the bully and all this kind of stuff. They get to the bottom, they win the race, but they're both sea monsters. And it takes all of 30 seconds for everyone to be like, okay, this is fine. Like, the village is based on Killing sea monsters. So many fountains. So many artworks. People have harpoons with them at all times in case of a sea monster spotting. And these two boys win the race. And there ain't nothing in the rule book that says two sea monsters can't win this race. 
That's not how they talked at all. And well, it's from Airbud. <laughs> Ain't nothing in the rule book says a dog can't play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and so they win the prize, and then they're just celebrated. Everyone's fine with it. Massimo uh, comes out and basically says, or basically just implies that, you know, he's going to protect them or whatever. Yeah. And uh, that was it. Then, like, everybody, like, ha- oh, not half the people, but a handful of people just, like, took off their umbrellas or whatever and showed themselves as sea monsters. And then they had a big party, sea monsters and humans. Like, if this was supposed to be an allegory for one of these big controversial things, this would set you up to feel marginalized. Because why can't real society be this way? Yeah. You know, if you're if you're wanting your kid to see this and say, see, look what will really happen. That's not reality. The world is not nice like this. Not 30 seconds nice. There are people that are nice, but it's a lot more complicated of a situation to deal with. Uh, I mean, if anything, this is a story for kids who feel slightly weird or like outsiders who are in search of friends uh, in a deeply emotionally vulnerable time in their lives. It's a story story about nerds, essentially. It's not a story about some big giant thing. And not all movies need to be. Now, I can see if there is a, a child who feels uh, like they might be homosexual or might be dealing with anything of that nature, how they could pull some mm-hmm. encouragement from this movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's okay to acknowledge that's not what the movie's about. Yeah. It's okay to mm-hmm. just have a movie be about normal, everyday things that everybody deals with. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have a universally acceptable movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's the big, the big kicker that a lot of people aren't realizing is that for whatever reason, we have sexualized kids' movies. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why, why is it either. So important? Kids have... movies, kids TV shows. Yes. Yes. Did we really need a Blues Clues transsexual pride parade YouTube video? Did we really need a Muppets special on transsexuality last month? Like let <laughs> Let the parents and the adults teach the children about that if that's what they want. It We don't need to take the characters that are universally loved and then make it focused on sexuality mm-hmm. for preschoolers. There's, Just, yeah, there, first and foremost, let's let our kids be kids. Yes, please. Let's let our kids enjoy their childhood without forcing them to grow up and face mature um, situations way before they should even be exposed to them. Right. Um, I mean, geez, I can remember when we were kids, having the birds and the bees talk was like, that was the worst thing that my parents had to ever face in parenting, right? Right. But now it seems as though from the second our children are born, we're encouraging them in their sexuality one way or another. And And like study after study has shown that until the child is at least an older teenager, 
they might have a wide variety of feelings and think that they're one way or another. Most kids that grow up thinking, like, for instance, that they're uh, the wrong gender. Hmm. Most kids who reach, like, the age of 18, 19, eventually realize, no, they weren't. Like, they had an issue, and they might have had, like, a kind of identity crisis situation going on, but they eventually work through it if we just let the time go. Mm -hmm. But we get to the point where, like, we have parents who see their young boy play with a doll when he's three years old. He goes, oh, that... It's a girl. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? <laughs> what are we doing? And that's another one of those things. I grew up being taught that it's okay for boys to play with dolls. It doesn't mean anything. And now society is taking anything that is um, stereotypically feminine. And if a boy does one of those things, imply that that's really a girl in a boy's body and vice versa. Just can we not? <laughs> it's like it's the same thing with work. You know, we, we always remember when we were growing up, we're like, don't don't make your kids work too much. Let them enjoy being a child. Don't, you know, focus so much on just chores. And, you know, it's important to have that kind of stuff. But don't make their whole life fill up their whole schedule with this, that and this and you know, learn this and do this and play this and never give them time to just run free and be kids. Mm hmm. Let's apply that same mindset to sexuality. Please. Let's not just overwhelm them with so many extremely confusing things, even to adults, about sexuality and genders and all these other things, and just let them be kids and let them figure it out on their own over time. Eventually, I think it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a whole group of parents who believe that they're they're helping their children. And I don't think for one second that the um, um, reasoning behind their talks or, you know what you I mean? You don't think they're being malicious? I don't. Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. I don't think that they're being terrible at the heart of their reasonings right. whatsoever. Their intentions. Their yes. Intentions thank are you. Good. Thank you. Um, but what I don't think we're, we realize is that we're overwhelming their tiny little brains. <laughs> you know, I mean, you said these things are hard for even adults to fully understand and mm -hmm. grasp and, you know, get a good hold on. Our children are not at a point maturity wise or mental capacity wise to understand these big adult issues, mm -hmm. big adult concepts, I should say. It's like um, trying to explain Bitcoin to your kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so many, so many layers mm -hmm. <laughs> of confusion. Right. <clears throat> um, there. So when we consider foreign languages, right, it's I think it's noble. It's honorable almost to be able to speak more than just one language. Yeah. Right? Um, that's something that you would encourage your kids to do. Learn a foreign language. And right? most, most foreign countries do. Right. <laughs> um, America's lazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but 
when my middle child was in preschool, he was actually in class with a three-year-old who was completely mute, had mm. not spoken at all, and was going through, you know, different um, tests and seeing different specialists to try and figure out what was going on. Well, they found out that he was in an Italian preschool mm. where they were speaking Italian mm. all the time. His mom um, spoke Spanish at home and his dad spoke English. So on a daily basis, this boy is being spoken to in three different languages and he could understand every single one of them. He knew what was being asked of him, but he didn't know how to communicate. Uh-huh. So his brain was being overwhelmed. He wasn't able to identify where to go. Yeah. In that same way, when we overwhelm our children with ideas or things that we find noble, you know, um, there's going to come a time where they feel a bit of a, an identity crisis. Yeah. They're not going to know, well, what do I choose? Yeah. And just with your example of, you know, the kid is mute, so he can't talk. Children are not typically sexual beings. Right. They, they have not developed in that way yet to the point where they can even begin to kind of understand what their bodies are going to be doing when they hit puberty or later. Mm-hmm. So they also have no way to really understand what you're talking about or communicate it back to you. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird that we have to sexualize everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to, to wrap this back up, back into Luca, <laughs> can we just have a fun movie, please, and not argue about it from both sides? Christians, we're talking to you, too. Quit being so dang sensitive over everything. There was a blink-and-you-missed-it lesbian company, cup, couple, company, couple, in d- Finding Dory. Yeah. And we got so upset. You couldn't really tell that they were lesbians at all. They could have been sisters. You had no idea. Mm-hmm. It's not like they were making out on camera. Mm-hmm. Can we just stop it? Mm-hmm. Just chill out and enjoy things. Mm-hmm. Life does not need to be so difficult all the time. Mm-hmm. I think, truthfully, what we also need to remember is that when we um, put labels on things, when we say that this movie is specifically for this community, it then leaves out a whole other group of people who could have found comfort in the movie. You know, just as you said, it essentially it's about nerds, <laughs> you know, it's about people who don't feel like they're part of the rest of the world. Right. They're just slightly different. Something's amiss, you know? And I mean, if we're being real, I feel like everybody has that feeling at some point in their lives. Yeah. But when you say this movie is specifically for this group of people, okay, well, I'm I'm not a part of that group of people, so why would I watch the movie? <laughs> yeah. Do should I not find comfort in it? Should right. I do you know You're not allowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is about me, not you. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> at the end of the day, let's all around from every side be a little more inclusive, a little mm. more understanding. You know, we all feel a little different every day, every single one of us.
it aside. Imagine this, I've just given you $20 and said you're in charge of figuring out dinner tonight. It has to be homemade and it has to feed the entire family. You find a recipe that sounds good, make a trip to the grocery store for all the necessities, bring it home and put it all away until it's actually time to prepare the meal. In the meantime, a member of the family was feeling the effects of hanger and made a mad dash to the pantry for a quick snack. Their quick snack, however, was an ingredient you just purchased for your meal, a crucial piece of the puzzle that cannot be substituted without a noticeable change in the outcome. Let chaos ensue. What if I told you you are that crucial ingredient, that you are handpicked and chosen for a specific reason to you? Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. How comforting to know we were created with a purpose. No mistakes were made, no alterations needed, but more importantly than that, he set us apart, pulled us aside, and placed us where we would be safe until our time for purpose had come. If you had only set your ingredients for tonight's meal aside and separate from the rest of the food, our dinner may not have come with as much stress and frustration. Those ingredients would be safe, not mistaken for something they're not. Remember your purpose. Even when we aren't fully sure of what's to come, don't forget you've been set apart by the creator of all things for a purpose specific to you. Yesterday, we talked about the newest Disney Pixar offering, Luca, which uh, I think we genuinely liked, even if it wasn't the best Pixar movie out there. Uh, we talked a lot about the mostly fabricated controversy around the movies, uh, or movie, but uh -huh. came to the same conclusion as the director of the movie. It's about a powerful friendship and pretty much nothing else. Uh, today, Mo and I are going to share our favorite Disney duos, be they friends or romantic partners, maybe family members. Members, and we're going to share why they're some of our favorites. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, we ended the show yesterday with a Twitter poll that asked, what's your favorite Disney duo, uh, Disney friendship? And uh, the one that I complained got the least amount of votes is one of my favorites, Wreck-It Ralph and Vanellope. Yeah. I really like that whole story about Ralph realizing he's not just destined to be a bad guy because this little girl believes in him. Uh-huh. Like that that whole the whole line of you know, if someone like her likes me, I can't be all that bad. Yeah. That like broke my dang heart. That whole movie as silly, as goofy as that movie is. Oh, I love it. Made me want to cry like three or four different times throughout the thing. Yeah. Like, it's a really good movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love the fact that, you know, take take out of the fact that he's like a grown man and she's a child. They're, you know, video game characters. They're ageless. So it doesn't really mean anything for uh -huh. that. But the fact that, you know, they have that connection 
of trust and friendship and all this and wanting the best for each other and sacrificing for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful friendship. I, I agree. It is one of my more favorites. And, you know, <laughs> maybe I just don't remember, but I feel like yesterday we talked about the controversy around Luca. I feel like there could have been controversy around. I don't recall there being any controversy around Ralph and Penelope. Yeah. <laughs> at all. <laughs> Which is weird. Yeah. Just when you think, just when you think you understand people, <laughs> you realize you really don't. <laughs> okay. So is it my turn? Yeah. Let's go back and forth. Okay. So the rescuers, Bernard and Bianca. Rescuers. Do you remember them? I forgot all about the rescuers. Oh, the rescuers and the rescuers down under. Down under. That's what I was about to say. Is they were. Down under? <sighs> wow. Some of my favorite, favorite movies as a kid. And I could probably sit down and watch both of them back to back. And you know I am not a movie person. <laughs> but I could sit down and watch both of them back to back and just be so happy. Um <laughs> But I honestly don't think I've seen them since I was a child oh. or thought about them since I was a child. I thought of Fievel. Oh, Fievel goes west. <laughs> okay. So Bernard and Bianca. Okay. I really, when we first talked about doing this, I was going back and forth between thinking of how many true like love stories you see in Disney movies between characters. And I think, Bernard and Bianca is one that is probably a little more obvious, Mm. if you will. There is no denying that this is kind of, it's a love story. And it starts out, you know, with Bianca being way out of Bernard's league, but they're forced to work together on this task to save little girl. I can't even remember her name right now. Um, But to save this little girl. Um, And then realizing that, yes, while they come from two very different worlds and um, seemingly Bianca could do far better than Bernard, they fall in love and they work together for one common goal, which I think sums up, honestly, a true relationship Mm. because they overcome obstacles. What's the bird? Sully? Maybe that's not the bird. You remember the albatross that they have to fly on? I barely remember anything. But, oh, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, the bird that they have to fly on. I don't think it's Sully. I think that's on another movie. Um, they have to. F- oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I do remember what you're talking about. Yes. That was like their vehicle. Yes. Was the bird. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> albatross air. Um, Having to overcome these obstacles together and, you know, realize that, yeah, we may be different, but we have one common goal and we're working towards that. I love that. I feel like that was honestly a good setup for a relationship. Gotcha. Far better than what Disney usually does. (laughs) All right. Uh, My next one is the number uh, two vote from our poll yesterday. Timon and Pumbaa. Okay. I feel like this is the ultimate bro couple. Yeah. Like they're not they're not romantic partners whatsoever, but they are so connected and so comfortable with with each other that they don't care about the other's gross out stuff. Timon could care less that Pumbaa farts all the time and they're both 
they both eat grubs like they're going out of style and you know gross and all this kind of stuff and but they also like protect each other care for each other are there for each other Mm -hmm. uh and they just hang out they just hang out and have fun together yeah like they don't want to be alone they never show any kind of interest in any romantic partners outside they just want to hang have fun live life together i think it's cool yeah i think another um good bro couple not quite as good as timon and pumbaa but another good bro couple is Todd and Copper from the Fox and the Hound. Fox and the Hound. You're going old school with these oh, movies. That's the only way to go. <laughs> um, of course, they end up parting ways because Todd does fall in love with Vixie. Um, but at the same time, you know, early when when Todd is a baby fox mm-hmm. and copper is a pup they're buddies they're best friends and they're they really shouldn't be you know yeah they should be <laughs> villains should be enemies yeah. yeah but they are best friends you know and they do everything together and they overcome their diversity to to be buddy for buddies for the sake of friendship and i can't help but wonder if they weren't animals would we have heard the whole luca scandal with Todd and Copper, <laughs> with the fox and the hound, you know? Yeah. Um, gotcha. Probably the same for Timon and Pumbaa. Had they not been animals right. and of different species, would yeah. we would That's we a, be hearing the, argu- the same argument? Interesting thought, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I got Carl and Ellie mm-hmm. from Up. Okay. The saddest 12-minute opener of a movie. Ever. And that's why I've never watched it. You've never seen it? I have never oh, seen it. It's heartbreaking, but beautiful. When I cry my eyes out within the first couple minutes, I turn it off. <laughs> I mean, the story itself, it's its telling you an entire love story in 12 minutes. And you connect with it so quick. And you love both of these characters so fast. It really is a tribute to how well they wrote that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then after 12 minutes, there's still a whole movie to go. <laughs> but it's beautiful because it, it shows two kind of weirdo kids fall in love, be friends first, and then like actually fall in love and have their whole life together and have ups and downs and tragedies and whatnot. And then eventually it's just him left as an old man. And he made this promise to her long before the tragedy started piling up that they would move their clubhouse, their house, to uh, Paradise Falls, Mm -hmm. which is a place that they had always wanted to go. And so that becomes the the crux of the movie, moving his house, their house, to Paradise Falls because he said he would, even though she was passed away at that point. It's beautiful. Beautiful story of commitment. there's another friendship in there with him and the boy that accidentally gets stuck on the, the house when it floats away. And so yeah. he's on this adventure, too. And it shows how, you know, kids can soften our hearts and and uh, make us less grumpy old grouches. And it's just it's it's got several beautiful uh, relationship stories in that movie. Mm. But uh, I like it. Yeah. Commitment. <laughs> um. My next one is Marlon and Dory. Okay. 
So, and this one is one that I think apparently people are torn on as to whether or not there was romance. What? Yeah. Um, what? Uh, there's there's a whole <laughs> slew of people who believe that towards the end of the movie that they kind of swim away as as a family, if you will. Well, I mean, they kind of do. And I, I not agree. A, yeah. Right. Not right. a romantic family. There's nothing that <laughs> lends us to believe that Marlon and Dory get married. Like, <laughs> and In fact, just the opposite at the beginning of Finding Dory. They live in separate little areas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, I think that this is another beautiful illustration of friendship. Yeah. You know, Dory had no idea who Marlon was. But saw someone struggling, saw someone having a difficult time, and decided, you know what? I can be of assistance. I can help. Even though for most of the movie, we all wonder, can she really help? Yeah. Can she really <laughs> be of assistance? Or is she just causing bigger issues? Um, but, again, she overcame those obstacles, those hurdles, those things that... Um, <laughs> kind of gave us all a, a semi-heart attack throughout the movie. <laughs> and it's all for the sake of friendship. Yeah. For helping someone in need. I think, truly, when you think about it, it wasn't because, like I said, they weren't already friends. It wasn't an established friendship. And she said, okay, my friend is having a difficult time. Essentially, they were strangers. And she saw someone struggling. Yeah. So she chose to help. And through that help, they became friends. And I think that that really is something that we all need to remember just because we see someone having a difficult time or um, not at their best for whatever reason doesn't mean that something beautiful can't come out of it. Yeah. I agree. I, I have two here that work similarly. Uh, so I'm going to lump them together. Mike okay. and Sully from Monsters, Inc. Uh -huh. and Woody and Buzz. Yeah. They're both like completely different types of People, characters, who at first do not get along. Uh, Mike and Sully would be from Monsters University. That's where we see their uh, friendship start. First do not get along or find themselves stuck together anyway. And eventually the differences that you know kept them apart made them realize that they fit together really well as uh Friends, people, mm -hmm. uh, helping others. Uh, Woody and Buzz was the number one vote in our poll yesterday, and uh, I mean, you you see these all all four of those Toy Story movies. You see just how that relationship changed between the two mm -hmm. from the first one, where it's all about them fighting each other, all the way up to the last one, where Woody's making that decision to go live his life with Bo Peep and mm -hmm. there's a whole just heartbreaking scene where him and Buzz are splitting up. Yeah. And how they knew that that was the worst part of this decision. Mm -hmm. The hardest decision uh, to make but the right one. Mm -hmm. But we just saw that, that friendship. That, that's true, that true friendship, in spite of the fact that they get on to each other and don't like everything about each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw the same thing with Mike and Sully. Sully uh, found himself in a situation he didn't want to be in. Mike tried to convince him to make the best of it. Uh, 
both gave up on each other at different points. And uh, ultimately, the situation they were in forced them to get along, forced them to become friends. And just that little bit of a push, a little bit of a it has to happen kind of thing can be enough to make lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, there's been several situations in both our lives where that's happened. Yeah. Where we've been put in a situation with people we didn't expect to be friends with. But because we were stuck in that situation, there were lifelong friends that were birthed from that situation. Hi, friend. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) All because I didn't want you to die. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In that same vein, somewhat, Lumiere and Cogsworth from Beauty and the Beast. Mm, Okay. Two very different characters, very different personalities, but together realize that they can't do anything, they can't do anything properly all the way, 100% without the other one. Mm. They have to be a team. They have to work together for the common good of, you know, all of them becoming people again and not objects. Yeah. Um, But that is probably one of my favorite, like, belly laugh friendships in all of Disney because there's just so much comedy between the two of them because they are so vastly different. They're very different characters, yeah. Uh-huh. Just completely. But at the same time... It's like R2-D2 and C-3PO. Yeah. <laughs> both droids. Both very different Yeah. personalities. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but without both of them working together, it, you know... Beauty and the Beast would have looked incredibly different, I believe. (laughs) Uh, So from Nightmare Before Christmas, Jack, Skellington, and Sally, for one specific reason. I like the fact that Sally still chooses to be in this relationship with Jack, even though Jack did not take her advice, was pig-headed, and decided to go out and try his own thing and fail at it. Okay. Because that's going to happen. In couples, there's going to be a situation where one or the other is so convinced that they know what's got to be done, they know how to get it done, while the other one's like, well, maybe we shouldn't. We're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We're going to go out and we're going to be foolhardy, try and do something our way, and then realize our spouse was right all along. <laughs> and we still want our spouse to be there when yeah. we find out that we were wrong. Yep. And I think that's rarer and rarer these days. A lot of time when one spouse screws up royally, the other one's like, well, told you, and I'm gone. And, uh, I mean, this is a silly connection to make with Jack Skeleton, <laughs> Skellington and Sally, but still. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what we see. Yeah. <laughs> is that she's still stuck with him even though he failed uh-huh. and didn't listen to her. And on the flip of that one, because, you know, there will be people who will be like, don't be a Sally. Don't stick around for for a guy who doesn't listen to you. Mm-hmm. On the flip, we have Kristoff and Anna from Frozen 2, mm. whereas Kristoff did exactly the same thing. Anna was stubborn and thought that she knew what she was supposed to do. And Kristoff kept telling her, no, don't, you know, and and she went and found herself in trouble. But in the end of, end of it all, you don't have a, a pig-headed, mean, misogynistic Kristoff who's like, 
I told you, you should have listened to me. You have comfort. You have security where he says, okay, now we'll work this out together. Let's tackle this as a team. So I think in Frozen 2, I can remember saying that was the first time that you see a male Disney character kind of take the back seat to a female lead, if you will. Be the calm, rational one. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but at the same time, to be truly what what I would want my daughter to look for in a man. Mm, gotcha. You know? Yeah. Um, it may be one of the very few Disney movies that I would be like, this is an attainable relationship to work towards. That's Not a, fairy that's, tale. That's a, yeah, that's a good phrase yeah. for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'd agree with that for sure. Yeah. Uh, we'll stick with Frozen then. Uh, I have Anna and Elsa. Anna. Anna, Anna. Anna and Elsa. Uh, <laughs> I want it to be Anna, okay? <laughs> Two of my best friends growing up, right. their names were Anna, but it's Anna. Anna and Elsa. Uh, I really did like that element of Frozen, uh, that it wasn't like true love's kiss or whatever that saved the day. It was the love between the two sisters. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was cool. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, the movie started off with the fact that they were basically separated yeah. for their entire childhoods because of that one event that happened mm-hmm. when they were little and, uh, how it's still built up to even in the worst situation where everything went wrong, the love between that family could still help the problem, solve mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, the phrase blood is thicker than water, you know, actually means the opposite of what we think it means. Uh, it's the blood of battle is thicker than uh, being able to wash it away. Water of birth or something like that. Oh. Like it's, it's like a, you build your own friend, you build your own family, and that family is the stronger family, one that you build yourself, that usually comes through okay. being in tough situations. Okay. And I think a lot of us tend to be that way. I mean, I know I feel that way with my family, is that I don't connect well with any of my family. Mm-hmm. Like, I love my mom, my mom loves me, and we're probably the most close, but even then, I don't feel like we're super close. I'm not close at all with either of my brothers. Uh, it was not until the last few years of my dad's life that we got close. Like I look at my wife's family and how close they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wish we'd had that wish we cared about each other (laughs) at all. And I think there's a lot of families that do that, especially these days where the kids just the pit. Well, the parents both one think one way, kids think another way. And they use that to separate the family completely. As soon Mm -hmm. as the kid grows up, they're gone. And you know, I'm not going to go home and hear my parents lecture me and whatever. And then, you know, families break down. Yeah. And I think that's sad. And I think that's more common uh, as we go along in life. So to have a movie focus on the fact that uh, building those relationships, those familiar relationships and keeping them into adulthood is an important thing. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um. Oh. I've only got two more. Okay. Peter and Tink. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with this one. Well, okay. 
Tink's a bit of a crazy person. Well, Tink is crazy. <laughs> Tink is crazy. Tink is crazy. <laughs> However, Tink just wants what everyone else, and quote unquote, I'm using everyone else in quotations, what everyone else in the world has. And that's someone who loves her. Mm. Someone who cares about her. Even the lost boys have each other. Yeah. You know? Um, And Tink thinks that she's found that in Peter. And really, she has. He does care about her. He does love her. But it's a friendship love. And that's something that Tink has to learn and realize. And that doesn't ruin their friendship. They don't have to sever ties at that point. Peter continues to respect and love Tink. And Tink learns to understand this isn't what I thought it was going to be, but that doesn't mean that it's, it can't be a good thing. Mm, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, when talking about friendships with kids, with our children, and there's going to be times where they're going to question, especially my boys, my boys tend to have more girlfriends than guy friends. That's how I was too. Yeah. As a Still girl, am, honestly, as a girl, I had more guy friends than I did girlfriends. So I get it. Um, but having to walk through those weird relationship struggles no. with my boys, this doesn't have to be an end all be all. Just because you're on different pages doesn't mean that the friendship is over. And I think we get that from Tink and Peter really well. I keep wanting to end this with I agree, and it sounds like I'm just not being sincere, but I do agree with everything you're saying. (laughs) I agree. Let's move on. I know you agree with me. (laughs) Uh, I could have talked about this one with the last one, uh, but Barley and Ian Lightfoot Mm, from mm -hmm. Onward. Yeah. Beautiful brother relationship. Uh, Made me cry. Like, Anna and Elsa didn't make me cry. Barley and Ian Lightfoot made me cry because I see in them what I want to see the connection between my two boys. Yeah. Like just, even though they get on each other's nerves, even though they'll fight and they'll disagree. Total opposite. Total opposite people. Mm-hmm. The, the love, even the willingness to sacrifice your own happiness for your brother or your own goals for your brother, being willing to trust your brother, even when you don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, all these kind of things. That's something that, uh, is a powerful bond that I really hope my boys are going to be able to have for their whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I really love that movie. Onward is a great movie. It is a great movie. I, um, I've always thought that Barley and Ian are like the perfect character representation of my boys. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can see that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I felt very much the same way watching it, thinking, oh, please let them be like that, <laughs> please. Um, Cause some days it, it's a struggle. All right. So my last one I'm reaching. Okay. Ready? Okay. Sven and Kristoff. <laughs> but listen, okay. When you consider Kristoff's upbringing, Mm-hmm. With the rocks, the rock people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, essentially, he was orphaned. Mm -hmm. And 
all that he had was Sven. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, it it's a perfect picture of the friendship, the camaraderie, the emotional support that we can get from pets, from having animals in our lives who love us. And as crazy and silly and far-fetched as it may sound, I think that having that relationship in a movie to kind of, um, to look towards, I guess, um, is just a good encouragement that pet ownership is important, not just for the animals, but emotionally, it's good for us as well. I mean, really, Kristoff wouldn't have been anything without Sven. <laughs> he really wouldn't have been. I mean, sure. <laughs> he would have been. Pet and human connection. Okay. I didn't know we were going to go that a route. creek <laughs> at Oaken's Lodge without a way out. All right. My last one here is Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, or the Pars. Uh there, if, for the two movies, we see both of them trying to grow as people individually and it causing issues with the other one mm-hmm. for feelings of either uh, fear that the relationship might end or feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. But despite them growing individually... They are also both intensely committed to staying together mm-hmm. and making that family stronger. And so that shows that we can still struggle with our, our own identities as we get older. Things can change. Our priorities can change. Our, some of our beliefs can change. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that was birthed out of that, including our Marriages and our children and everything like that needs to be done away with. Right. <laughs> you can still grow together as you've grown individually. Right. And I feel like the that intense um, that intense commitment to marriage is something that we also have just, uh, of course, seen less and less and less and less and less. Like. In spite of it, I mean, in that first movie, she thought he was cheating on her. Mm-hmm. And then she was, what she found out, she thought was even worse. What actually was happening, she thought was even worse. Mm-hmm. But there was not a single threat of divorce or leaving you or going and staying at a friend's house or right. anything like that. She didn't pack a bag. She didn't pack a bag. Yeah. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. She angrily committed to. To loving this man. (laughs) I know what that's like. And that's the right way to do this thing. Right. You're not always going to be in the perfect harmony. You might not even always be perfectly happy. And that's okay because it's a season. Mm -hmm. It's a season in your life that will pass. Yep. And you will grow even closer if you tough it out and stick through it. Mm -hmm. So I really love that. I really love that relationship. Yeah. (sighs) All right. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. Mm -hmm.
This week in Nerd History, Harry Potter and the Elder Wand. Nerd History. This was almost the title of the last book of the Harry Potter series before J.K. Rowling instead chose the name Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which released in the U.S., U.K., and Canada on July 21st, 2007. Deathly Hallows shattered sales records upon release, surpassing marks set by previous titles of the Harry Potter series. It holds the Guinness World Record for most novels sold within 24 hours of release, with 8.3 million sold in the U.S. and 2.65 million in the U.K., Rowling completed the book while staying at the Balmoral Hotel in Edinburgh in January of 2007 and left a signed statement on a marble bust of Hermes in her room which read, J.K. Rowling finished writing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows in this room, 552, on 11 January 2007. Of course, people couldn't wait to get their hands on the book, even if that meant breaking the law to read it, just a couple of days before its release. Several online leaks, including one that was actually a set of 759 photographs of each page of the book leaked online and spread through peer-to-peer and torrent sites. Scholastic also admitted that roughly 1,200 copies had been shipped out early to online purchasers, which of course meant that some of these copies ended up on eBay, being sold at a 1,300% markup, all because people couldn't wait literally less than a week to buy their own copy legally. But that's what you get with the final book of a massively popular series that is still fueling imaginations today. I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more Nerd History. week we've been talking about Disney duos sparked by our review of the movie Luca and the friendship that that movie showcased. Yesterday we talked about our favorite duos, couples, friends, family, uh, and the good things that they showed us. Mm -hmm. Today we're going to look at the opposite side of the coin and talk about how Disney couples or other famous cartoon duos, maybe not Disney per se, but you know, in this vein, whether they be romantic friendships, family bonds can actually give us a false view Mm-hmm. of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let me start by going through this article uh, by Patricia Sarkar uh, from Voices, uh, so Vocal.media, the human's blog. It's called Disney's, Disney Ruined a Generation's Ability to Be Realistic About Love. Disney movies always are filled with heartwarming, family-friendly moments that involve brave characters, lovable sidekicks, and a moral that the guy always gets the girl. In fact, many of their classic plot lines have become famously copied as rom-coms for adults. But many people out there are saying that movies that have those Disney plots may be ruining people's abilities to be realistic about love. Uh, Let's see here. People tend to believe what they see in mainstream media, and that includes the overall dynamics of relationships. The more I look at movies, the more I'm realizing that the answer to much of our generation's problems with dating may just have to do with unplugging from Disney movies and the rom-com industry as a whole. And here's why I've come to the conclusion, and why many others have too, you are what you eat. 
In social science, it's well known that hearing the same things over and over and again uh, often will cause people to end up believing them. The power of media consumption has shown time and time again that it has the ability to make people believe whatever it wants them to believe. This is why almost every country has a propaganda campaign. While people who read alternate tend to vote Democrat, and while people who watch Fox are most likely to vote Republican. Now, for the most parts, romance-filled movies are apolitical. This is especially true with Disney. They aren't propaganda, really. It's not like Snow White and Cinderella were trying to tell you to vote for tax cuts or anything. Hmm. But what most Disney movies and every rom-com does tell people is that guys always get the girl as a hero, even if they aren't attractive. Think about Shrek, even though he's DreamWorks. He got Fiona, and they lived happily ever after. With Snow White, the prince in that film didn't even have to say anything to get her. How is that rational? They also tell people that girls who... uh, They also tell people that girls... Sorry. Looks like this is a typo. (laughs) Tell people that girls who are uh, gorgeous and high-status women are the ones that these guys will get and love, and they will love them unconditionally. Uh, This should be obvious when you look at most Disney movies. Uh, Aladdin had Jasmine, who was a princess, while he was a homeless street urchin who lied to marry her. With Lady and the Tramp, it's even right there in the name. Uh, (laughs) If you can be realistic about love for a moment, you realize that most women who are knockout gorgeous, high status, and kind of wouldn't want to date someone so far beneath them, These guys legitimately had nothing to offer the girls aside from companionship, and they could get that anywhere. Moreover, they also tell people that they'll end up finding the perfect love who will sweep them off their feet to happily ever after. Ariel managed to get the guy without actually saying anything to him, and he just whisked her away. Cinderella got her prince after just meeting him for one day, and he treated her like a princess forever. This is only realistic in fairy tales. Realistically, you can't get any less realistic expectations about love if you tried. People don't just magically appear like that and offer to marry you, and if they do, they're typically con men. Remember, when it comes to your reality, what you see in the media tends to shape the way you'll see the world as you, uh, as well as your expectations of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think about that so far? A bit spot on. <laughs> I mean... The overall sentiment of it is spot on. There's some things I didn't agree with, but whatever. <laughs> overall, it was spot on. Um, let me continue here. The biggest problem with Disney movie plots is that it's affected what we believe to be realistic and reasonable expectations of love and relationships. So we see ourselves as Disney heroes and princesses in a world where the right person will magically come along and save the day. A hundred years ago, people would tell you that the real world doesn't work that way. Nobody's perfect, and you have to find someone who you can tolerate and work with, rather than have someone who will always make everything sunshine and rainbows. The problem with this belief is that it sets up sets us up for disappointment, resentment, and bitterness, all the while giving us a reason to think it's everyone else's fault but our own. After all, these kinds of movies suddenly tell us that we're all perfect snowflakes, so if you can't find the perfect person for you, it's everyone else's fault. Additionally, rom-coms also make it seem like everyone gets paired up, and this is not always the case. As sad as it is, there are some perfectly good men out there who end up alone. There's some perfectly good women out there who never find Mr. Right. If people were more realistic about life and actually worked to hone their ability to be realistic about love, there would be a lot more happy couples. Moreover, there probably would be less divorce since people would probably realize you need to work in order to make love worth it. 
Once again, it's not only Disney movies that do this, it's endemic, and it's hurting our ability to discern what's really supposed to happen. And uh, the last section here, no, two sections here, but last one we'll probably talk about, uh, is titled Treat Me Like a Princess. I wish I could name how many guys I've seen who have passed up girls over the way they looked, despite them having bodies that looked awful. Uh, I wish I could name how many girls I know who are waiting for a guy to treat her like a princess. Most men will not be able to treat girls like the prince and Cinderella did. They won't be able to rescue girls from towers or do anything else like that. Moreover, they wouldn't want to do that. You know why? Because guys don't want high-maintenance damsels in distress. <laughs> I mean, it's a fact. <laughs> Additionally, other rom-coms that stole the Disney feel-good formula also make things worse. For example, Just Friends and other movies that help solidify the idea of the friend zone made life bad for women. After all, it insinuates that men and women can't be friends without an exchange of sex for friendship. What really hurts about this particular adult Disney type of trope is that it ruins many a teenager's ability to be realistic about love. After all, they tend to believe that the subtle idea is the movie show, and that leads to a lot of bitterness at other times. In fact, I really wish I could just catalog how many people use rom-com-inspired terms like the friend zone to talk about perceived slights they feel due to insane expectations that rom-com set. Legitimately, I wish I could name how many I've seen because there have been so many that I've lost count, and that disturbs me. The problem with the rom-com mindset is that it's so widespread that it's beginning to become the standard rather than the exception. Hmm. All right, so that's as far as we'll go into that part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think that's... I think that is spot on. Because I'm, I'm trying to think about... Back when Deidre and I first started dating, when we were kids. So mm -hmm. really, my only uh, knowledge about the dating world was what I've seen in TV and movies. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you kind of expect that. You kind of expect it to be perfect. And who, gosh, it really ain't. <laughs> it really ain't perfect. And don't and don't take that uh, that change in tone as to imply that it's my wife's fault. No. It's, <laughs> I'm an awful person sometimes. <laughs> but I mean, we, we, we all are. We're, we're never going to be the best husband and wife. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's just a fact of the matter. Uh -huh. We're human. We struggle. We suck sometimes. Yep. And you got, like she said, she said it kind of harsh. You got to find someone who will tolerate and deal with you. <laughs> but I mean, essentially, that's it. There are going to be times where that's what it feels like. Exactly. There are going to be times where it feels like tolerating and dealing. But they love you enough that they're willing to stick it through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this has been something that... Man, years ago, I think the very first time that my eyes were really actually open to the fact that, you know, Disney is doing us all a disservice, um, it was through Kevin Wellborn from the pulpit one Sunday morning talking about relationship and how marriages are not what Disney has created them and mm -hmm. what Disney wants us to believe. And just kind of sitting there, I'm like, oh, that's so true. I've never heard anything truer from the pulpit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
but it was a, an aha moment yeah. for me. And he's probably like kicking himself right now. Really, Megan, that's the one thing that. <laughs> it's the only thing you remember me ever saying. Right? No, I remember very a lot. Deeper. I remember a lot. <laughs> um, but that is one of the bigger things. And now I have two teenage boys who are walking through relationships. And um, with my middle child, he's gone back and forth with the same relationship with the same girl. Um, and they're currently not dating, but it is very obvious that they both like each other. There's serious feelings there, but neither one of them are willing to say, okay, we messed up. We're sorry. You know? Um, and being good friends with her mom, the two of us have conversations on the regular and she will say she just wants for him to look at her and say, I love you. And I was like, uh, and have you looked at her and been like, have you ever seen your dad say that to me? Like, (laughs) you know, and having this conversation with the mom, she and I both are on the same page that yeah, Disney has failed our teenagers because what her expectation is, is something very fairy tale. Even though she's lived with her parents and seen their marriage, which is not Disney, it's it's reality. Yeah, you know, which is all marriages. Exactly. <laughs> if you have a Disney marriage, I'm going to be worried about both of you. Uh, <laughs> you know, because someone's uh, in denial is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so um, but anyway, really having this. In my face, realization as I'm walking through this with my boys of, man, girls have got this expectation that you're just not going to be able to live up to. And truthfully, in a lot of ways, boys have an expectation, too. They have an expectation of the the most beautiful girl who is not only beautiful, but smart and witty and kind to everyone and loves animals and will put her life aside to be your princess, your Mm -hmm. wife, Mm -hmm. you know, all around, it has really set up this false narrative for what a relationship and a marriage actually is. And it sucks. (laughs) Yeah. That sets up also like, stereotypes of how relationships are supposed to be and how they're supposed to get set up and how, well, and a lot of this kind of happens in the Christian culture as well. It's kind of fed into that is, you know, in in the Bible, it says that, you know, you know, the man is supposed to be the provider for the, the home, but we take that to mean only the man can work. The woman's supposed to stay home and mm-hmm. take care of the family and take care of the residents. And, and, uh, if if you're anything, if your family is anything less than that, then you are a failure as a man, as a husband, as a follower of God. Mm-hmm. Like my my older brother believes, that. <laughs> or at least used to, until his wife started making more than. Him. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, I'm in that boat. I uh, my wife has always made more money than me yeah. because my wife is just a brilliant worker like she's a brilliant person she works in in finance now she's she took to it like a fish to water every job that she's ever had she's been the best at it than anyone else around her and i am not that way (laughs) 
I also tend to do a lot of my work for free, <laughs> which also doesn't help provide for the family. But, you know, I get paid, but I don't get paid near as much as her. So my money basically goes to our mortgage and hers covers everything else. Um, but that means most of the time I'm a stay-at-home dad. Most of my work is done at home, but I am at home with the boys while she's got the normal eight-to-five job. I have never had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I have never felt inadequate by that. I have never felt that she doesn't like this situation because she loves her job and she loves working. And I love being able to spend more time with the boys at the same time getting things done at the house. It's uh, it's working well for us. <laughs> and I think that that's part of the both the Disney thing and the Christian thing is that it sets us up to believe otherwise. Now, in recent years, Disney movies have changed a bit around that. It's rare to see a father or a male in a home in a lot of Disney movies these days because there's either died or left. Mm-hmm. It's usually just like one, the one woman, the mom or even the aunt <laughs> of the children yeah. watching them now, which is strange. All these men are dying. Hey, and Luca, though, <laughs> it was a single dad. Luca was a single dad. That was a, it's a rarity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just it sets up it sets up. Uh, it sets up a lot of reprogramming that's going to happen mm-hmm. in a lot of brains. Yeah. And uh, that's not just true for relationships. Uh, it's true for friendships as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Disney movies or these kind of movies kind of give us this idea that we expect people to be understanding all the time, to always be able to help us every time we're in need. Uh but it often causes us to just focus on ourselves. Mm-hmm. To become like very inter- selfish. Yeah. It's like um, in Community, there was one, one episode where Troy and Abed, this is early on, this is the first season, and Troy has this warped view of friendship. He goes, no, f- friends do things for me. <laughs> you know, and that's that's kind of what we think. We're the center of attention. We're the we're the we're the main character, and everyone revolves around us. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, again, this is this has also gotten better in recent years. Like with Luca, Luca had a situation where they had a falling out, but they manned up and got over it. Yeah, and that's what you do. Uh-huh. You man up and you get over it. Well, man up is a gender exclusive. Or yeah. Uh, not a gender inclusive term, but you you suck it up. <laughs> you suck it up. You realize your friends. You realize that one stupid argument or one stupid disagreement is not going to erase all this friendship, and you get back to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not always that easy, but still an accurate thing. That's what you got to do. It's work. It's work. Mm-hmm. Just like she said with the relationships. Sometimes you do have to tolerate the person. Sometimes you do have to suck it up and work hard. Um, do you agree with that? You want to talk about friendships at all? Um, I think that you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Okay. It very much does set us up for, you know, a self-centered, self-pleasing mm-hmm. mentality. As long as my story is moving forward, that's all that matters. Uh-huh. <laughs> we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, huh? Yep. But in a better light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I want to talk about in this vein is like the parent-child relationship. Uh-huh. Okay. And I specifically like to compare Daniel Tiger mm-hmm. to Bluey. Mm-hmm. 
Daniel Tiger makes me feel like the worst parent on the planet. Because every time the child is either disobeyed or is confused or is whiny or is hurt or anything like that, the parent's just completely understanding and kneels down, pats the little head, just says, hey, I have the perfect piece of advice to help you in this situation. And that perfect piece of advice always helps. And that child is always made the better for it in that exact moment. And everything is wrapped up in a nice little bow at the end of the episode. I wish my kids were like that. I wish I was like that as a parent. Not once does anyone yell at the kid in Daniel Tiger. Bluey, on the other hand, much more realistic portrayal of parents. Yeah. Do get frustrated. Do sometimes not want to play this game with the kids. Do sometimes have to go off to work and they just have to suck it up and deal with it. Like the, the back seat of the car is covered in crumbs and markers and stickers and stuff. Like it's, it's a more realistic thing. Uh, there are arguments. There are there's episodes where the the mom and dad are arguing, and the kids are confused about how they can argue. If that does that mean that they don't love each other, you know, and this kind of thing. Like, no, that's stupid. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially how it's. Been. No, of course not. Of course that doesn't mean we don't love each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's much more realistic, and I love that for it. Um, Daniel Tiger's not bad, and of course Daniel Tiger is. You know, teaches lessons to children. I feel like Bluey is aimed more at both kids and parents. Yeah. To tell you, hey, it's okay if you don't always get it perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a movie that came out. Did you happen to see The Mitchells versus The Machines? Yes, but. What? I wasn't really watching it. Paying attention to it? Yeah. As much. It didn't well, this, have me like this Luca did. Felt, this felt a lot like a more realistic family dynamic. The parents and kids don't understand each other and they don't get along and the kid just wants out and wants the freedom. But when everything comes crashing down, they realize, well, we're still a family. And if we got to do this together, we're going to do this together. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that's exactly what, I mean, of course, there's this ridiculous in time scenario where robots try and take over the world. It's a really good movie. I'm sad that Mo didn't pay attention to it. <laughs> but, but uh, like, it's okay to be kind of messed up yeah. <laughs> and still love each other and still expect uh, the family to stay together. It, I mean, it grow, hard times grow you. Hard struggles in any relationship grows that relationship into something better. Mm-hmm. The only thing that has to occur is you stick it out. Right. If you quit, you get nothing out of it but more uh, an easier ability to be jaded with future relationships. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you take away from something you quit on. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not saying there's never a time that you should quit a relationship. Of course there are. There are very, there's several terrible scenarios where, okay, this relationship needs to end. But for the most part, 99% of the time, a relationship will only grow stronger if you choose to get through the tough parts. Mm-hmm. Familial, romantic, friendships, all of them. Yeah. 
Um, I think, too, what Disney does, Disney does kind of a disservice to parents in a lot of ways. And I think the one movie that I can kind of, that's sitting at the front of my mind right now is Toy Story. And the reason that I say it does a disservice to parents is because either the parents are absent or absent-minded. Hmm. Um, not really concerned with what's happening in their children's lives. And so when you consider, think about Andy's mom. She's a single mom. She's got two kids. Things are going. She's moving. She's Her brain is scattered 100%. But there's big things happening with Andy that she just doesn't even realize. And when you think about the mom in these movies, in the series of movies, the fact that we don't even really see her lends a feeling towards being absent-minded. She's there, but she's not even, she's not paying attention. And so for a kid, as they're watching these Disney movies where either one parent is totally absent and the other parent is absent-minded, what have you, that only solidifies in children's minds that their parents don't understand them. Their parents don't care. Their parents don't get them. You and know? you're all on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's something that all kids think sooner or later. All kids struggle with. You know, they have this fear of my parents aren't going to understand what's happening. My parents aren't going to understand why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. And then you watch these movies and that's just like, yep, see, even even Andy's mom doesn't care, you know. Um, so I think in that regard, it sets the parent-child relationship up for some misunderstanding yeah. in a lot of ways. And if ever there were going to be a group of people who were going to be offended by Disney movies as a whole, let me just say... It should be all the stepmoms of the world. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> You're right. The evil stepmom trope. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me one Disney movie where the stepmom is good. There is one. I don't remember what it is right now, but I remember that being... It didn't make it any better because that's like the point of the movie. The point is, oh, see, some stepmoms are good. <laughs> After you have the evil queen, yeah. <laughs> Cinderella's oh, stepmother. It's, it's not just Disney. It's like every kid's movie that involved a stepmother. It's like yeah. they're always evil. Yeah. They always didn't care about the kids, little rotten kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Once we're married, you're going to boarding school. Exactly. Even Parent <laughs> Trap. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I mean, really. Oh, it, yeah, it, listen, I'm good. I'm not a stepmom, but I would back y'all 100%. <laughs> so here are some realistic expectations, okay? Go into these relationships, no matter how what kind of relationship it is. Focusing on these three things. Communication. 
Openness and honesty with ourselves and with others is the first key. We all fail ourselves and others in many ways, and we should be able to admit when we're wrong. We should not base our expectations on mere assumptions, but on verifiable truth, if at all possible. We should discuss with our loved ones what our expectations are and what theirs are. Mm. Number two, forgiveness. Hold on, say that again. Forgiveness. Okay. The people in Jesus' day were expecting the Messiah. But when he came, they had some unrealistic expectations of what he'd do. They wanted the Messiah to free them from Rome, and they wrongly expected Jesus to establish his kingdom then and there. And when he did not fulfill those expectations, they were frustrated and angry enough to kill. But Jesus forgave. Mm -hmm. If Jesus could forgive the men who called out, crucify him, we can forgive our loved ones and friends who harbor wrong expectations of us. And lastly, love. Love is patient and kind. It does not insist on its own way. We need to remember that all people are different. If we have formed expectations for friends or loved ones that they cannot live up to, it's not their fault. We have the power to change our expectations. And if we find that our expectations of others are unreasonable, we should be flexible. Hmm. That's good. Very good. Boom. Mm -hmm. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to do it for our week of focus on Disney duos. for this week's rollback. We hope you enjoyed this week's main topic. Remember that we air first exclusively on LTN Radio, LTNOnAir.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, find the Back Row Morning Show podcast version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Subscribe, rate five stars, and leave your review. Do it, and we'll love you forever. And make sure you're following us on all the socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Just search for at the Back Row LTN and connect with us. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And remember, if nobody else tells you, we promise that it's true. Jesus Jesus loves loves you, nerd. nerd.